are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible tonight and turn with me to 1 Corinthians, please. Chapter number 15, 1 Corinthians Chapter number 15, it is good to be in church tonight. Thank you for joining us. It's good to see all the faithful members of North Valley Baptist Church. And also we want to welcome all of the uh, students who've traveled in and your parents. Thank you for being here tonight. And uh, this is a public service announcement to all the college young men. If you're a college student at Golden State Baptist College, I don't know if it's true or not. I think I've heard there's some colleges that give the boys demerits if they say amen. We ought to just vote right now. We're going to give you demerits if you don't say amen. So uh, thank you. I appreciate that. So go ahead and get them all out tonight, and we'll get warmed up for a great semester, but we're glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series now on really the life of Christ, starting at, well, really before His appearing, all the way through. We'll go through Calvary and the resurrection. And last week we preached on Remember the Rapture. Tonight, we're also going to be speaking on that subject of the resurrection and of the, of the dead and the rapture. And 1 Corinthians 15, look with me. If you're able to stand in the tents tonight, stand with me, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll begin reading in verse 51 and read through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you were to read the entirety of this chapter, you notice it begins with the gospel and it ends with the resurrection. It begins with the gospel and it sums up with the rapture. And Paul goes through these verses and he lays out that doctrinal truth that those who are dead or those who sleep in Christ will not be left behind at the rapture, but they will be resurrected and come forth from the grave and be given a new body and they'll unite with Christ and we'll join them there in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Corinthians are dealing with doubt. Some of them say that there is no resurrection. They're dealing with sin in their church. There's contention and quarrel and division. They're living in a world that is no doubt wicked. They want to do right, but they're surrounded by wrong on every side. Paul lays down the doctrine, but he's not just teaching, he's preaching. He doesn't just give truth, now he applies truth. In the last verse of this text, there's a word that begins the verse that says, Therefore. That tells you to look back at what was ahead of it. That means in response to or because of. Now that he's laid it out, here's what you do with it. 
He said, because Jesus is coming soon, because the dead in Christ will rise, because death has lost its sting, because the grave has no more victory, because we're on the winning side, don't you think, let me just say it how I'd say it, don't you reckon we ought to be steadfast? Don't you think we ought to just be unmovable? Don't you think we ought to not just survive, but abound in the work of the Lord? He's saying this, if he's coming, then keep going. If he's coming, then keep serving. If he's coming, then don't quit. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. If he's coming, then I'm committing. If he's coming, then I'm committing. I think I'll just work till Jesus comes. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for power now. Please speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever heard anybody make the statement, sign your John Hancock on this piece of paper? That term is really a name. And that name has become synonymous with committing to something. John Hancock was just one of 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. But he is well known and his name is now synonymous with signing your signature because he penned his name in big, bold, very legible font so that King George III would have no trouble reading that John Hancock was signed up and committed to fight for the cause of a free America. Forever, that term, John Hancock, is synonymous with one who has signed their name to it. It's a sign of commitment. The word commit means to bind or obligate oneself as by pledge or assurance to devote or engage oneself to a person or a thing. What a good word it is, commit. What a great quality it is, commit. What a need it is in our hour, commit. To be committed is to be sold out. To be committed is to be all in. To be committed is to be wholly devoted. A committed person stands. A committed person stays. A committed person serves. And a committed person sees it through. Commitment is to be tied to a cause. Commitment is to be yoked to a purpose. Commitment is to be settled upon a position. Commitment means not changing. Commitment means not compromising. Commitment means not quitting. There's a call in 1 Corinthians 58, and it's a call to Christians to simply be committed. The Holy Spirit directs Paul to give us a definition of a committed Christian. What's a committed Christian? A committed Christian is steadfast. A committed Christian is unmovable. And a committed Christian is always abounding in the work of the Lord. We're living, and it's sad to say it, but it's true, we're living in quitting days, not committing days. Around our world and across our nation and even within our churches, the qualities of steadfastness, immovableness, and abounding in the work of the Lord are endangered and on the edge of extinction. It's far more convenient and easy to compromise and quit than it is to stay, stand, and serve God. In many places, there are more trying to get out than there are rushing to get in. That's just the truth of it. Colleges are seeing less young people enroll. Churches are closing their doors. Buses need drivers and captains. Christian schools are down in students. Sunday school classes can't find teachers. There are more posts to fill then we can find Christians willing to fill those posts. 
There are schools that need teachers, mission fields that need missionaries, churches that need pastors, soul winners and sinners that need them. But finding a Christian who commit to Christ is a hard thing in this generation. Within their heart, there's a battle being fought. It seems like they're arguing within themselves and they're saying things like this. You want me to commit in days like these? You want me to commit in COVID days? You want me to commit in corrupt government days? You want me to commit in compromising church days? You want me to commit in carnal Christian days? You want me to commit in perilous climate days? You want me to commit in an antichrist culture kind of a day? You want me to commit in days like these? It seems like it's too much to ask of many modern Christians to just mimic Christians we find in our Bible. Can I say tonight, our heritage is not built on those who compromise and quit, but our heritage is built on the framework of those that were wholly committed to the Lord. We sing the hymn, and the hymn says, Faith of our fathers, living still in spite of, not without, but in spite of dungeon, fire, and sword. I'm sad to say that we sing the song, but then we sing a different tune when we're asked to actually live it out in our own generation. We say, Daniel stood, but you want us to stand? Paul preached through persecution. You want us to do that? Old Testament prophets served in civil unrest through pestilence and famine, but we don't want to face that in our own generation. It seems like we're good Monday morning quarterbacks, but we're not good at living out Sunday morning faith in God. And I'm concerned today many Christians have gotten too temporal in their vision. They're too immediate in their estimation. They spend too much time looking around or looking within and not enough time looking up. They've scrolled their devices and not searched the scripture. They hear the newest headline, but never hear the voice of the Holy Ghost. And now the things of earth have them convinced we might as well raise the white flag, take our ball and go home, get in our bunker, live it out till Jesus comes and just eat worms and die. Can I say the biggest lie that some Christians tell themselves is when they sing hymns like I'm on the winning side or victory in Jesus. They'll stand in church and shout and stomp their foot and raise their hand and say, well, I'm on the winning side. But you check their Facebook, you look at their, uh, their, their face, I mean, you watch how they live their life during the week and it says anything but I'm on the winning side. They act like they've never even met Jesus. They haven't even won a game of checkers and yet they sing I'm on the winning side. You just ask the average Christian. They'll tell you how bad it is. You just ask the average preacher. He'll tell you there's no hope. You just visit the average church. It's like a funeral, not revival. I mean, we're not steadfast. We're not unmovable. We're like the deadhead on a dandelion blown about by every breeze that comes our direction. Where is that Christian? In our generation who'll be steadfast. Where's that Christian? In our generation that'll be unmovable. Where's that child of God in our generation that'll always abound in the work of the Lord? I want to encourage our hearts tonight. I want to encourage every young man that's attending Golden State Baptist College. I want to uh, encourage every member of North Valley Baptist Church just like Paul did so many years ago. These aren't quitting days. These are committing days. These aren't compromising days. These are committing days. These aren't capitulating days. These are committing days. I'm not looking for the exit ramp. I want to get in the fast lane for Jesus. I'm looking to be steadfast, unmovable, and always abound in the work of the Lord. In this first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul has dealt very directly with their carnality. 
He sought to set in order some things that were wanting. And now as he wraps up this first letter, he provides you and I with 58 verses that take us all the way from the definition of the gospel to the resurrection and rapture of the church. The 15th chapter here begins with the gospel laid out. It's very plain. The Bible says the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ according to the scripture. If anybody adds anything to that, or if anybody takes anything away from that, they're an apostate, and they're a heretic, and they're no longer preaching the pure gospel. It is not baptism that saves. It is not good works that saves. It is not prayer beads that save. It is not the priesthood that saves. It is the blood of Jesus Christ and that alone that can atone for the sins of man. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. As Paul moves into the body of our chapter, he begins to lay out the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead in Christ, and then he explains the rapture of the church. There were some living in Corinth that were saying that there'd be no resurrection. I'm glad they were wrong. And by the way, if anybody preaches that there isn't one today, they're still wrong. Here in verse 51, to the end of the chapter, we find some of the greatest verses in Scripture that have to do with what the Bible refers to as the first resurrection. In verse 51, the Bible says it's a mystery. Paul is giving these Corinthians something that up to this point has not been clearly revealed or understood. As he begins this section of verses, he declares that not all believers will die, but all believers will be changed. Verse 51, let's read it. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, I preached it last week, but it's so good, I think I'll hit it again. What a wonderful truth it is. We might not have to go by way of the grave. We might not get sized up for our own coffin. There may never have to be mourners surrounding our tombstone we will not all sleep that means not all of us will have to die but thank God we'll all be changed one day whether it's rapture or resurrection we'll say goodbye to these old bodies we'll bid farewell to this old world we'll say no more to all this sin and depression no more aches and no more pains no more disabilities but thank God we'll see Jesus and we shall be like him Revelation 20 verse number 6 said blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power thank God the bodies of those who die in Christ are sown in corruption but they're raised in incorruption they're sown in dishonor but they're raised in glory they're sown in weakness but they're raised in power they're sown natural but they're raised spiritual thank God there was a resurrection of our redeemer but there will be a resurrection of his redeemed and one of these days when that trumpet sounds the dead in Christ shall rise they'll get a new body praise the Lord and have a new life and you and I that are alive and remain will go up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air when Jesus comes every saved individual is going up the dead in Christ shall rise and you and I also likewise will rise won't it be wonderful there having no burdens to bear thank God it'll be good on the other side here in verse 54 through verse 57 we read about our victory in Jesus. By the way, you ought to check your attitude and outlook and remind it, you have victory in Jesus. 
put that on a Hallmark card and send it to your mother-in-law. Say amen right there. That's more than just a good song. That's a good truth. Every time a Christian passes the graveyard, you ought to shout victory. Every time you follow a funeral procession, you ought to sing victory. Every time the world reminds you of death, you ought to drag the world by the collar to the empty tomb and remind it of your victory. In verse 54 it says, So in this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Watch this. Death is swallowed up in victory. You read through these verses and through Three times in those four verses that in the chapter the Holy Ghost of God sprinkles that word victory weaves it throughout the words of these verses all throughout it declares that we're not on the losing side we are on the winning side there's no cause for fear there's no cause for trepidation there's no cause for discouragement we are winners in the Lord Jesus Christ you study out religions of this world most false religions teach immortality but only one teaches resurrection. That's because there's only one that has a resurrected king. Buddha didn't rise from the dead and Muhammad didn't rise from the dead. The Hindu gods didn't rise from the dead. Joseph Smith didn't rise from the dead. Confucius didn't rise from the dead and your karma and good intentions aren't going to rise from the dead either. But thank God because Jesus lives, we shall live with him. Jesus gives us the assurance. Death is just a doorway to paradise. Death is just our boarding pass to eternity. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Victory rose up from the deeps of depression in that garden as they buried Jesus in a borrowed tomb. But it rose up like a great giant from the deep and swallowed up the grave and put us on the winning side. When Jesus suffered and bled and died upon the cross, he endured the sting of death for us. He paid our sin debt in full with his blood. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastised of our peace was laid upon him with this stripes we are healed he became sin for us he died in our place but he didn't stay dead he rose again living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sin far away rising he justified freely forever and one day he's coming oh glorious day now our sin debt has been paid now the wrath of God has been traded for grace now death has no rights on my life the grave has no claim I've got eternal life in Jesus and one way, one day either grave or Gabriel whether the trumpet or the tomb I'm going to see Jesus face to face and I'm as sure for glory as the sun will rise in the morning thank God the dead in Christ shall rise there's an A coming we're going to be changed Jesus is coming soon after laying out the doctrine of this first resurrection in the imminent rapture of the church, Paul gives them a verse. We've got to close. You're, you make me want to preach. Paul pins a final... Preachers just say that to get permission to go further. They don't plan on stopping. Paul pins a final verse now to close out this chapter. Paul's writing to a church that had its issues. He's writing to believers that experienced strife and contention. He's dealing with people that doubted whether or not there'd even be a resurrection of the dead. 
He's writing to people who wanted to do right, but they're surrounded by wrong on every side. And I'm afraid they were looking around and they might have been looking within, but Paul said it's about time you look up. And he writes to them in the last part of this verse. He says, you know what? There's plenty of fuel to, to feed your fire of negativity. But let me give you a giant piece of kindling to throw on your fire of positivity. Jesus is coming soon. The dead in Christ shall rise. And he ties it together by saying this, therefore, that word therefore means in response to, therefore, because of, therefore, go back and look at what the motivation is. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore what? Since Jesus is coming, since the dead in Christ will rise, my beloved brethren, be as steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul is directing their attention not around them. He's not even directing their attention within them. He's directing their attention above them and saying one of these days Jesus will part the clouds like a scroll. The shout will ring out. The trump will blast and we're going to say goodbye world. Goodbye. He says because Jesus is coming you got to take a stand. Because Jesus is coming you got to serve God. Because Jesus is coming you got not quit. Because Jesus is coming you might as well sign up to serve. He doesn't say the day are dark you might as well give up he says Jesus is coming don't give up he doesn't say the times are hard you might as well quit he said Jesus is coming don't you quit he's not saying it's time to get out he's saying it's time to get all in Adonai Judson said Adoniram Judson said the motto of every missionary whether preacher printer or schoolmaster ought to be steadfast for life steadfast that means I'm not governed by my emotions unmovable I'm not driven by your reaction steadfast that means I'm driven by truth I'm governed by doctrine I know whom I have believed I know what I do believe and by God's grace I'm not changing I'm going to see Jesus face to face I'm not enslaved to popularity I'm not counting or courting your acceptance I want to be surrendered to him and seeking his face I'll be steadfast in doctrine unmovable in my direction fixed upon my principle and focused on my practice always abounding in the work of the Lord the song says Jesus is our captain I shall not be moved Jesus is our captain I shall not be moved just like a tree planted by the waters I shall not be I shall not be moved slander won't move me scorners won't move me quitters won't move me pressure won't move me people won't move me politics won't move me disease won't move me difficulty won't move me what others do won't move me I'm fixed and settled I'm going to serve the Lord we got to ask ourselves tonight. We got to ask ourselves tonight if we're being steadfast are we being unmovable? Are we prepared to always abound in the work of the Lord? Now I know we're living in the last days but I still say these are the greatest days to serve the Lord. Hey can I help you with something? Jesus is coming. The King is coming. The Lord is on his way. And if it be true, if it be true, young men, that Jesus is coming, if I ever preached, I want to preach now. If I ever served, I want to serve now. If I ever prayed, I want to pray now. It's not time to get out. It's time to get in. The battle still is raging. There's still time on the clock. There's still a work for God to do. The Lord is on his way. Let's just remember the rapture and think about this. He's coming. I think I'll just go on with God. A committed person stays 
a committed person stands, a committed person serves, a committed person sees it through. I want to be tied to a cause, yoked to a position, not quitting my purpose. He's coming. I want to serve Him. He's coming. I want to lift Him up. He's coming. I want to walk with Him. He's coming. I want to tell others about Him. He's coming. I want to pray. He's coming. I want to preach. He's coming. I want to win souls. He's coming. I want to glorify and honor His name. Oh, land of rest for the eyesight. When will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and dwell at peace at home? I don't know when that's going to happen, but here's my response. I work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I walk the veil with Him or meet Him in the air, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Well, I reckon you might as well keep serving because listen, Jesus is coming, Paul says. You might as well go ahead and dig in. Why? Because the dead in Christ are going to rise one of these days. One of these days, faith gives way to sight. We don't just sing about Him, preach about Him. We don't just have to pray to Him. We can see Him as He is. When with the Savior we enter the glory land, won't it be wonderful there? I wonder tonight if we have any John Hancock Christians in the Golden State Baptist College and at the North Valley Baptist Church that'll sign our declaration of commitment tonight and just say, I want to write it big and bold so the devil himself has no trouble. He doesn't have to stammer nor stutter as he reads it. I want every compromiser, every liberal, every wicked politician in high places to be able to read my name on that title clear. I'm signing up to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If Jesus is coming, I want to meet him with mud from the battlefield still on my boots. If Jesus is coming, I don't want my sword rusted in the sheath. If Jesus is coming, I don't want dust on my Bible. If Jesus is coming, I don't want to have zero tracks within my possession. If Jesus is coming, I don't want to have a prayer list that's barren. If Jesus is coming, I don't want to preach like I'm miserable. If Jesus is coming, I don't want to get out. I want to do so much the more as I see the day approaching. I'll give you this illustration in close. The U.S. golfer George Archer had a successful career on the PGA Tour. He won 13 tournaments. In 1969, he won the Masters. A reporter asked him, you're getting older now. What are you going to do when you retire? Don't you think it's time to retire? The golfer replied and said, I don't know about retiring. When baseball players quit, they take up golf. When basketball players quit, they just take up golf. When football players quit, they just take up golf. I already play golf. What am I supposed to do if I retire? I think I'll just keep playing golf. Well, I just think I'll quit. What are you going to do then? Be miserable like every other person in this world? No. I think I'll just keep serving the Lord and finish my course with joy. I want to sign my John Hancock on that declaration. By the grace of God, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. We need every young man that's called to preach to go do it. We need all you young ladies surrendering to serve God to see it through. We need every Christian family here represented in our church to stay strong serving God and stay together. These aren't quitting days. These are committing days.
Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.